0: Welcome to Bold Becoming, Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Raju.
1: Hello, Julie.
0: Today we have, say your full name, please. I'm not going to try your last name.
1: That's okay. It's Raju Panjwani.
0: Panjwani. Mm -hmm. And I don't know all of his stories. He has like a bucket load of identity loss stories. And so we, we were t- sort of deciding which ones to talk about or which one to talk about because each one could take up an entire session. Um, and we're gonna talk about the tsunami one. So tell me about your son just called.
1: Well, it's funny that, you know, today you're, you're recording this interview and and uh, you picked today which I didn't even know that was by design neither by me nor by you but today is the 19th anniversary of the Indian Ocean tsunami of 2004, where half a million people died, and they were swept away uh, by an earthquake in the ocean and and the resulting aftermath, and many countries were impacted back in Asia. So Indonesia lost about 200,000 people, uh, India about 45,000, Sri Lanka, where we were about 18,000, and so on and so forth. Everyone thinks of this as the Thailand tsunami, which Lost five thousand people, but nevertheless, because that's the more f- more famous cousin of those islands over there, in any case, so yeah, so it's funny that we're having this call today um, and my yeah, son just yeah, go
0: ahead, <laughs> and your son just called
1: it's funny so so my uh, two of my my children are in Denver with you know with their with their grandmother uh, for Christmas, and we were just chatting, uh, you know, because I, I hadn't talked to them yesterday. And they were like Hey, guess what I found? I just found this big folder where mom had collected all these different letters and emails and copied it back in the day, printed them all out about an interview we did, uh, a a local newspaper did in 2005 in January, so almost uh, 19 years ago, about the tsunami survival. And I was calling them to say, happy Boxing Day. Thank you for surviving, uh, guys, so that we still have a, a story to tell today because My youngest was two at the time. He was on my shoulder. We were running, running from an an 80-mile-an-hour wall of water. And my six-year-old, who's now 25, so these two were uh, were with us. And my daughter, who was 19 at the time, and then my wife, who no longer, she passed away, but nothing to do with the tsunami. So, yeah, talk about identity losses many, many, many times. So the tsunami was such a story. Yeah, so
0: let's go into that story because... Um, some of us actually might not even know what happened at all, but more about how a natural disaster or a natural occurrence that created disaster impacted your, who you are, who you were. And because um, these kind of things, they bring up mortality motivation. Like, oh my God, I didn't die. I could have died. So many people died. And then it sort of broadens
1: our thinking on life. Did that, did that happen you, to you? You took the
0: words out of my mouth. My, <laughs> my articles. You, you want me to do the interview for you?
1: <laughs> I have this book that I wrote. There is a chapter about mortality motivation
0: okay. because
1: I, you know, a lot of people say life is short. I've had six near deaths and the tsunami was the third for me. Um, And two of my children have been involved with two of the others too. Subsequently. Mm. So, but but this particular one stands out because not only because it's dramatic, it's a natural disaster. People, you know, many many people died. But for it, it's just earth shaking. And I say life is short. No, life is not short. Life is just fickle. Life is short for a two year old who dies, or is it? It's short for someone who is ninety years old. It's it is a blip anyway. So I, since since that mortality is, issue that we talk about, and it, it motivates me because every morning I get up and I gotta, it's my last day today. What am I gonna do to live a li- to life that's lived fully? So it's fickle. You, you don't know if you're gonna be alive in a minute from now. And we just think, we take so many things for granted. So for me, I do not take life for granted. And that's a constant lesson I need to keep learning because and that's why I survived another one. I survived another one, you know, six weeks ago, believe it or not, a car accident. And I'm like, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm meant to be here. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't make me survive. So I think my the loss of identity, because that's the subject here, that moment when I lost my two-year-old from my shoulder, I was deliberate in letting him go because I was trying to survive. I was trying to catch some other things along the way. The high speed, you know, water that was taking me away, I was trying to hold on to, to trees or whatever I could find in my in my path. And so for me, I had PTSD after we survived of and the guilt of letting my son go. And how selfish am I to make me survive first? So, to me, that is the truth of life, and that is actually who we are. We would rather see ourselves survive before. We think we think we want to. Oh, I'll I'll jump in the water for my son to, to to save him. That is not true for me. It's not what I, it's not what happens. It's not what happened. And enough has been written in scriptures and stories about why we are meant to survive first. So that's why we have this thing in the planes, right? You know, put your mask on first before you help anybody else. Because if you if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to save somebody so subsequent therapy etc which i thought was rationalizing wait wait wait, before
0: you before you go into exactly how it all happened let's go more into the moment so you were in india you you're from the united states it sounds like sort of from your accent Mm -hmm. for indian origin and so you you were in india
1: uh, yeah we were living in new york we were we had a stint in India while we were living there for work, etc. But this particular year, 2004, we had our very close friends uh, visiting us in New York and had put together this house. They aggregated some land and they were building a villa in Sri Lanka. So we were in Sri Lanka, which is... OK,
0: so you're in Sri Lanka, not in India.
1: Yes. It was in the south of India. and and. We said to him, hey, Dom, we, we haven't been to Sri Lanka. We lived in India for five years, but we never went down there. So to go from here all the way to, to, to Sri Lanka, it just sounds like a lot of work, frankly, and we wish you luck I, I mean, uh, with the house and everything. But one thing led to another, and we decided that we would go. Uh, and it was such a great, you know, heartfelt invitation that we said, okay, that sounds wonderful. And then we we had so many friends in in, in India as well that we figured on the way back, we'll stop by and Say hello to our friends. And it was my wife's 40th birthday this week, December 30th uh, at the time. So we figured what would be great to see everybody. And that's kind of how we decided there was another another little impetus to go. So that was going that was what was going on.
0: So you were there. Beautiful
1: time, we were on the beach, literally 50 feet from the seawall and having such a lot of fun for four days. Uh, and it turns out that our flight got canceled or rescheduled. We were supposed to leave on Christmas morning, 25th of December. And so we we were now scheduled to go the day after. And that's how here we are waking up at in the morning and just got swept away while we were in our, just waking up in the morning and, and then boom. You see okay. Something so, coming.
0: so so boom the boom is this mass of water coming at you at 80 miles an hour you saw it coming at you
1: so i was hydrophobic Uh, i'm less hydrophobic today but but i was i grew up fairly hydrophobic i had very thick glasses like like these but i couldn't see too far and and my wife having known that she had the baby in her arms and she i was sleeping and she everybody was waking me up and "Get, get out get out of here i go get where are we going I thought we had a car picking us up. and but so anyway, everything was a, a blur at the moment in that moment. and she said, "Come out and run, run, don't look behind And when someone says, "Don't look behind,
0: you look behind.
1: Look behind. And then yeah. literally it was like a thirty foot wall of water coming at us eighty miles an hour, literally. I mean, that's what we were told. and we were we were running away from the water towards the mainland and don't know what happened. The next thing we know, we were, we, were, we were swept, swept in into into the whatever.
0: You 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 the were m- swept in with the wave.
1: We were swept away from the the ocean, meaning it was taking us out towards the land, so to speak. And
0: the the water overtook you <laughs> and pushed you along with the water towards the land.
1: Think of it as buildings, walls of water coming at you. It's super high speed. I mean, I'm telling you it was between 60 and 80 miles an hour, something like that. And so it, you know, tsunamis are caused by earthquakes under the ocean, typically. So this epicenter was near Indonesia, and when it started to on its path, wherever it goes, it hits whatever it hits. And as it hits land masses, it slows down, of course, away from the epicenter. So at the point of impact, we were hit at estimates for 80 miles an hour. So that's it. You don't know what happened, and I was sucked in into some ditch in the water with with the water. I said a prayer. Is all I remember. Please don't make me survive my children. That would be the the worst nightmare. And I didn't know where anybody was at, anyway. And I was like, and I let go of my two year old who was on my shoulder at the moment because, as I said, I was trying to helter skelter, trying to catch on to anything. But any in any case, I was so deep underwater that i had no idea what happened so i probably was unconscious etc and all the other stuff that happened who who found who where they were found all that is a subsequent discovery right when you're when you're gone you're gone you don't know but when you come back and you go oh how come i'm still alive because i thought i was dead So, so yes, I still I still get goosebumps when I think of my act of letting my son go.
0: Yeah.
1: Like how could I do that? I should be punished for that. But truth is, everybody survived in our family. Many people lost their loved ones while we were there.
0: So so um, the, your two-year-old survived.
1: Two-year-old, all of the, everybody survived. All the oh two-year-old, 6 year old 19-year-old, my wife and I both all survived. Oh, wow. Two-year-old now and, is 21. Yeah.
0: So even though your, your two-year-old survived, you still have this mental construct around I shouldn't have left. let go of him?
1: I mean, I, f- I feel like I'm over that, but I'm saying it's a lot of rationale. It's a lot of rationalization rather, therapy, al- analysis, I've been through it all. Um, all need to be told that really we are designed for self-survival first. And it doesn't intellectually ring true because oh, I love my kids, how could I? There is no how could I? That's the truth, that's life. Uh, if there was an earthquake in a moment here, You'd be looking to find your shelter before you were looking for your children or what have you to to help them be safe. Yes, along the way, if that happened, you'd be okay, you'd do that. But truth be told, you just focus on you. We are focused on ourselves, no matter what we think intellectually and mentally. Our human instinct of survival is you first.
0: Right. Well, you is really the only person you have control over in catastrophic or severe situations
1: you don't have control anyway though Julie I don't see I had any control. you think I had control over my survival? no it's a, it's a human instinct to survive. That's why people are survivors. They're not whatever else. We survive so that we can we can exist in nature right? So nature, so I've learned over the over these twenty years that my purpose in my life, and I don't, I'm getting far ahead of myself again, but is really to complete nature. It's whatever nature, whatever by, whatever name people call it. We're here, to, like the tree is here to fulfill nature. We're here to fulfill nature, but we resist so much that oftentimes we are. Unfulfilled, frustrated, etc., because of all the external factors, external to us that bothers, stresses out, etc. in that moment, we're only part of nature. The people that were offsprings of ours and children of ours and people we meet and friends, they're they're not part of you. I mean, we're all connected, but still in the in the moment of survival, it's you first.
0: That's very interesting because as as a parent and what you hear about parents is and what what on a regular day many parents do not all parents but many parents will be as ferocious as a tiger to protect their their kids and yes. and on a daily basis a lot of parents I would say especially mothers because that's sort of this expectation and the training and whatever and the role that's provided is to care for others before we care for ourselves and yet when it comes down to it when it's really a life or death in an emergency situation the instinct for self-preservation would rise to the surface and even at the expense of losing a child <clears throat> and it's not I actually I would
1: say so yes I would say so yes. that's yeah, my, and, well, my that's,
0: yeah that's yeah that's that's what you're describing is that that there's mm-hmm. these different levels of of caring and love and survival and when and that, that a lot of us fortunately never even experience what you've experienced to to understand it that there is this different level
1: well it's a gun to your head some scenario you've probably seen in movies right you have your child and you're saying okay don't shoot my child shoot me that's right that's something a mother would do a father would do uh but let's say to your point about mother because that's a very natural instinct and i think the lioness is a great example because you've seen, if you've been to safaris and forests, yeah, that, or an alligator protecting its offspring is a very big thing for the mother. So clearly the woman instinct or the motherly instinct is far more akin to this idea. And if it's a gun to your head situation, what is likely that the mother would say, you shoot me, please don't shoot my children. but oh, I got to, you know, I only have one, one bullet. So that's what you would do. Now, but that's in that's intellectual an intellectual talking is what I'd say because you're using your mind and the logic in your brain. Uh, but when there was nothing else, you would want to survive it would be would be my guess
0: mm-hmm.
1: because how of, of how life how thick the life is
0: now let me ask you another question about when you're under the water saying your prayers. So what else was it like thinking that your life was over? What what
1: I have no clue. I blanked out. So I wasn't when you reflect like this, and you're giving a lot of you're giving a lot of intellectual focus to this. Oh, I was saying my prayer. No, as soon as I as soon as I that split the, the switch flipped like my son had to let go because I had to f- hold on to something. And then I said, please, God don't let me survive my children. And that's it. Then I was it was all blank. I don't know what happened. Whether I was gone for 10 minutes, two minutes, an hour, I don't know. But when I came out, I was, you know, you know, conscious suddenly, and I was throwing up water and I couldn't see a thing beyond two feet because of my eyesight. And all I was looking for is some place to hold on to trees or something like that. And there was a little little girl dangling from a branch of a tree and I wanted her off that branch so I could hold on to that branch. And so I'm screaming, help, help, help. As much as I could, I don't even remember. I have no no consciousness or no awareness of whether I'm screaming, I could be heard or because I couldn't see. And I and I learned in that moment that when you're, when you can't see clearly, you also, dull your other senses Uh, because I can't see clearly I can I'm therefore not hearing really well because I don't know what I'm what I'm listening for because I can't see
0: interesting
1: and I see images around me and there's a guy throwing a a plastic pail of water a bucket to to to, for me to hold on to so I could hold on to that and and I'm saying to him in sign language because I don't speak the local language to please get this girl, save the girl, save the girl. So he grabs the girl, and he throws me the bucket, and and this branch is now too far above me because it's now it's she's
0: sprung back up, up. To place. back up.
1: And so I'm, I don't know how to tread water even, so I'm totally like a flailing fish, uh, can't can't uh, or whatever. Not, not, fish, not fish would be great. Um, so I'm holding on to this bucket and for dear life. Um, and I can't see anything. I can't hear a thing. And all I can hear is that i is my voice screaming, looking for my children at this point. Evan, Nick, you know, all, all, you know. And I, I think and my son was just reading reading me the interview from the press because he was saying, Hey, this is like 19-year-old interview you, you guys did. And it was that, yeah, I think what I said to the journalist at the time, its pretty fresh, fresh later, was that I had this feeling that my wife was okay somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether she was alive or not, but but that she'd be okay. I had this comfort in my, in my heart. And that my daughter would be okay too. And I have no clue why. And that's true. They were both perched somewhere and they were able to have a bird's eye view of whatever was going on because they were holding on to a spot. And my wife was a good swimmer, but I don't think... Your swimming skills were coming in handy during a tsunami. Nothing. <laughs> not not
0: not your regular swimming skills. Yeah, no. and even as long as
1: you could stay afloat. But you ultimately, people died in the tsunami because they got hit by debris and trees mm-hmm. and whatever else was coming their way at at that high speed. Mm-hmm. So if you if if God forbid something hit us or children, I mean, you'd be dead. And we saw bodies floating. We had old ladies and children's bodies. You know, as we were. When we were starting to get get away from from the spot towards the little hills and mountain areas, it was uh, or high ground. It was hard to see uh, what was going on. So yeah, so you got hit. You were pretty much dead, and there's no way you could hold on. You could you could surf the water if you were a great surfer or swimmer, probably. But it was what was on in the path of the tsunami.
0: so so you 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 all survived miraculously a 2 year old obviously doesn't know how to swim and how your 2 year old didn't drown is beyond me so then yeah wherever i interrupted you last why don't you go on more with your story about how
1: so i would i could talk th- about this forever but I mean, ultimately, what is it all about? It's the it's the mortality, as you were saying earlier, right? It's the it's a motivator. It's a it's knowing that you're so mortal in a moment you can be gone. Uh my wish was the need to hold on to that feeling forever. Mm.
0: forever.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, because what's important, you know, little arguments about stupid things we do in life, uh, whether it's spousal differences or children disciplining, all of these things that we live our lives with constant stress. And I suddenly had this learning that the way I brought up my older children versus my younger children, like, my God, night and day, like what, what did I do? And it's like, I can't beat myself up now for, I mean, I didn't treat much badly. Don't get me wrong. It's just that their upbringing and how I felt versus, you know, little things that bothered me to to fast forward these moments like oh my god it's so trivial the stuff we focus on and and so yeah then you get into life takes over again and you're back into your routine everybody's okay life is good you forget the lesson so quickly and so for me my first lesson was what meaning am I going to ascribe to any event in my life because we live our life ascribing meanings all day long. Good, bad, ugly, beautiful. It's like binary way of thinking. And then so, oh my God, that was such a bad experience. I don't think of anything as good and bad anymore. It's in the moment, whatever is there, you feel the anger, you feel the frustration, you feel the love, you feel the joy. It's all, It's all temporary. It's all gonna pass quickly. Think about the things you've worked, you, you wrote your book and the joy of putting it all in, in paper and then bringing it all out into, into manifest in this world. There is certainly joy around that, but how long does that last? You know, um, six minutes, six six months, a year, maybe two, because you're on moved onto the, on the next thing. And it's it's life where we, our external experiences then drive our behavior. And so what is that thing that's gonna hold let me hold an internal or something internally that I can hold forever. It's not external, it's here. So that learning was as we ascribe a meaning to an event, and how about we ascribe it the meaning we want to ascribe it. So why not live a life of meaning every single day with intention, with with awareness? So if if you feel sad, angry, and whatever else, negative emotion, it's okay. But you're not using it to take it out on a situation or a person because that's not it's not theirs it's all you.
0: and you're not adopting it as an identity of becoming a a person let's just say victim to your circumstances
1: oh no never on the contrary It's, it's the the idea that i'm human and i'm getting a chance to learn about being human, about who I am in this in this really nature, because I call everything it's all nature, right? I look at from trees to insects to animals, and all we're all part of nature, and the way they live and the way they behave. Yes, they they have to feed off of you know the insects and the other uh, their predators to somebody else, and we are predators to something else. They're all for survival, but human beings have a perceived higher standing in the species but we're still the same mm-hmm. so if that's who we are we have the ability to give meaning to a situation that you went through and so what are you going to do with that I can say oh like there are friends of mine who just say oh that was just the thing that happened and life goes on and to me no I want to hold on to that event because it gives me meaning for everything else I am today and it gives meaning to everything I do today with that with that ownership that I'm given us given this life and there has been many times been taken away and has been restored because I'm a spirit in this body that I'm supposed to still learn something in this spirit in this body. So the spirit is learning. If the spirit doesn't learn then you're gonna be back to square one. Our our job is to grow. We have a seed inside us that allows us to grow. And that if you're aware of that seed, it's just there naturally. There's nothing there's nothing tree does to make itself grow, right? It just keeps growing as long as it has water Well, you nourish sometime.
0: it. Yeah, you nourish, nourish the growth. But you
1: see, it's not like a human, somebody nourishes it. Nature nourishes it.
0: Nature, okay. life events being nature,
1: give us I'm not think. i'm not saying it that way uh i'm saying if you just look at the tree as is right
0: mm-hmm.
1: forget the human interaction forests and trees have survived for millennia they go through their seasons cyclical and they you know leaves turn into mulch and then it goes back again and then at some point it may perish it may die that's okay that's just i think we're no different is what i'm saying we are part of nature, and we have this notion that we are nurturing a tree. Or if we planted a tree, we're nurturing it. But let's say that these forests weren't planted by anybody, it's just there, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nobody planted the forests. So I'm likening it to that. Or, or as I said, creations, other creations that have, you know, that are living and breathing. They just, we don't know where they were created from. We don't know where we were created from. But if we are given some ability of a mind and, and a way to, to think and rationalize, I look at these six, we have six mental faculties we we use to our detriment all day long.
0: To our detriment? they
1: are in chapter seven.
0: Okay, wait, hold on. You're holding that up, but most people are listening on audio. So what's the name of your book? Bold, Conscious Leadership. How to Feel Free in a Restricted World.
1: That's the book. Um, Now, the book is based on our coaching program and things that we have helped other other people get out of their own way, so to speak, to to become limitless and unstoppable, to live a life of freedom. Uh, One of the chapters in the book is about, we know the five senses, right? These five senses that we have of seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, and tasting are all externally bound. The assumption here is that we are, if we assume that we are spirits in this body, non-physical, we can't see each other, we we can't touch that spirit. Because to me, it's proof that if 10 people died in in the moment in an accident, let's say, if you cut them open to do an autopsy on them, everything is the same. brain, heart, liver, kidneys, et cetera. but what what make them what made them be alive or dead is something else that we can't see, and that's the spirit, right? So if we're spirits in this human body, these five senses are there for us to experience external elements. However, the six others that you have inside of you, they're largely mental, because that's especially given to human beings are used to our detriment. Yes. So a free will, we have that God given will. We can choose not to do or do whatever we like to say or do. That's the choice. Number two is your, is your imagination. You can have imagination run wild or you can use imagination in combination with your, with your free will to say that's horrible. I've already been through this before. It's never gonna happen. I've already had the validation of my experience, right? That brings me to memory. Your memory is powerful. Your body is nothing but memory. Your spirit is not memory. Your body is memory. The fourth is your perception. You form perceptions over time about everything, Mm -hmm. which involves judgment. It can also be discerning, discernment, but we focus on always the judgment. Judgment, mostly negative. reasoning oh my goodness <laughs> reasoning is your biggest enemy it can be a great friend but we use reasoning to to will our imagination away and the last one which is the which is the most amazing of all is intuition and intuition comes from being silent with yourself so you can really hear the silence of your intuition because that's sharp it's already been given to you as it being your true guide but it's ignored all day long because reasoning, perception, memory, experience overrides poor intuition all day long. So if there was a way to have these six constantly at the forefront of who you really are, you actually could live a life of full, uh, you know, with, with, with full, full-on anger, frustration, joy, all at once, because these are all ex- in existence in yourself, in your spirit, at the same time. It's just that what are you going to choose in that moment? And most of most of the time, as I said, we choose it for detriment because we imagine the worst fears. We have sixty thousand thoughts on average as a human adult. Useless, most of them. Uh, and then what it's do we? It's sixty
0: thousand we... thoughts a day, right? Correct. Yeah,
1: and an average oh, adult has sixty to seventy thousand thoughts a day.
0: And and the vast majority, like seventy plus percent, are negative.
1: Well, I don't want to ascribe any negative or positive. I'm just saying most of the thoughts have no meaning as far as of being any use to to a human being. About ninety eight percent of them are useless. Now, some of them are useful because you want to be you want to be an auto pilot to brush your teeth, perhaps. It's a good habit to have. So you want to have these habits that are useful, where you don't have to think too much about it. So that's not a thought. It's a decision you make by opening the toothpaste and brushing your teeth, because we've been so used to it. But imagine all the things we're used to that are so pro- part of our program that hurt us. And most of them do hurt us. Like what? write down all the things you imagined yesterday or the day before. Imagine this, using the imagination as a faculty for a moment. All the things you imagined never came true today. Or the things you imagined 10 years ago are not true today. You could have imagined something that you really want to intend to create, to manifest. If you put your focus on that, of what you want, there is a possibility you could create it. Whereas for those that you don't want to create, the things of the things we don't want to see in the world is so long, Julie. you're wasting your time because the list of what we don't want is very long. But if I ask you what is it that you really want? that's a hard list to come up with. So if we focused on what we want to imagine in reality into reality, there is some chance, it may not happen, but there's a better chance that it would happen than simply dissipating your energy with what- Trying to useful.
0: play defense with what we yes. don't want. Right,
1: you know. so That's and just it, one faculty, that's imagination. Imagine the perception we have about people. Before my ex or my mother-in-law or whoever that I've had a, 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 a stressful relationship with, the moment their name is even mentioned, in my vicinity or my orbit, I have a negative or positive, as the case may be, reaction to it. You've already programmed. Now, how do you get rid of that? When you, when will you give that person a chance to, to be just who they are? No, nope, you already made up your mind. Your perception is clear. You already judged them. It's over. Nobody can rise in their eyes anymore. Well, so this is who we are as humanity. And I think it's every single one of these faculties are used for not the goodness. It's time to double down on goodness. The world needs goodness. We we use it for all the wrong reasons. We live in fear all day. What does that mean? The freedom that we talk about in my book is about, it's really about freedom from fear. Because living in fear, i.e. not being bold, your podcast has got bold in it.
0: <laughs>
1: because we need more boldness in the world to live fully and be able to therefore manifest, hopefully, the goodness that you're all trying to create.
0: So what do you say to people who haven't had uh, a mortality motivation moment, and they are they're not so excited about their life, they're frustrated or discouraged or hopeless, or just struggling, how to bring more of this, because w- what I'm hearing is that there's two sides of the sword to all six of those um attributes sure. that we all have. So mm-hmm. and and totally I can see how we use the, you know, one side to the cost of the other. Uh-huh. how can we how can a person without this major jolt in life, of mortality mode motivation or some other major like identity loss event where the rugs pulled out from under you and you're forced to think differently and start to act differently how, how to bring some of that using the other side of the sword in
1: well that's a great question i mean that's the that's our essential struggle in in life right you you yeah. you need a you just need an external catalyst to do something like this, like in in my case, right? It's an external catalyst that happened, or you have this inner inner an internal desire to do something or be something different. We have it, but it's been silenced,
0: yeah, intrinsic motivation because we're taught as kids to be to conform and to get you know figure out what other people want us to do,
1: correct. and so then we so lose our intrinsic. Program. Right. So by 30, and by by the time we're 30 in, in an average, normal, normal person without having somebody having, you know, a physical disability or others, but other in general, by 30 or 35, your your personality is already formed. Right. You're just pretty much programmed to do your disconnect from your so-called inner desire happens later on in life as you figure out, well, I don't feel fulfilled in the job i do or in the work i do because mom and dad or my teachers and my friends made me pick that because we always want something external to blame and now we look for resurrection or something different for our lives so what i say is that you're you always have that inner intuition but you've just let it let it be covered up by other programs
0: overridden it
1: Overwritten it. And again, even in my case, the first two disasters in my life that I didn't talk about didn't give me enough of an impetus to still change my life. Mm-hmm. This one did, right? the, the tsunami. And I've had three more since then. So now I just I'm learning the same lesson, the same lesson. Y- yes. One more time, one more time, just to remind you. So I say finding the connection. So, so again, the other thing I was going to say is that oftentimes the external catalyst happens when your health goes down downhill or a loved one is in trouble of some sort. Those are external catalysts to, to awaken you too, right? Mm-hmm. So in my case, it was a tsunami or and maybe in my wife's case, it wasn't. It wasn't as big a deal to her. But whatever it may be for you, as I said, you ascribe a meaning to it first. Now, if it's not an external event, something internal happens. Or we all heard the story, right? Oh, I need to lose some weight because my doctor wants me to lose weight because I had a heart attack or some other thing happened. Well, that's that's a catalyst enough, but apparently until it happens to you or your loved one, you're not going to change. Or how many times have we heard, you know, um, that's good for you, but not good for me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Drugs, saying no to drugs. Now, why do we accept that saying no to drugs is a good thing? Because enough people have had the consequences or the surgeon warning on their smoking, smoking is bad for you. I mean, someone still told you it's bad for you, but you didn't really experience it until you experience that lung cancer or God forbid something else, you're not gonna change. So what, what do you need? You need everybody else's experience? Well, no, until you experience it yourself, you really don't know. So it's, it's, up, to, it's up to the individual to say, am I tapping into my heart? and I mean heart loosely, everything in, in, your, in your energy center, we have seven energy centers given to us, everything has a heart of its own. Until you connect to the heart chakra, as I call it, you're not gonna be able to really make a change in your life because you, your emotion is not involved with that change. So until it does, you're not gonna change. And until it's beaten up, beaten on, on to you from an external source, you know you're not going to change. So the Bible has says it has said it all. The scriptures have said it all, but it's all there. The wisdom is all there. But what do we do to apply it? Right? right. Bible says die to all of it. Oh, we have to die every day. Yeah, you got to die in that moment to everything that's happening to you, because the truth is in that death. In that death, because the what's going to come out of that, the birth of the new moment that's going to that you're going to experience, you can experience it fully. Because unless you feel that the anger, the frustration, whatever there is that's driving you, or uh, you were asking me a question about what you know, what do people do if they're if they're just done with all this, and well, then you're then you're likely to be depressed, and you're likely to go down into a into a slippery slope and you know take your life in extreme cases. If that's what you want, you always have that. That's your free will. I can always shoot myself and go get get myself killed, easy. But if then you're not fulfilling nature because you're going to be back in another as a spirit in some other way to learn the experience you need to learn. Anyway, I'm babbling here, but but I feel like it, it's the connection to the heart. Until you own it in the heart and feel that emotion for it, it's like remembering names when you find. You know everybody loves their own name right so if you're in a, in a group of people you meet 30 people and then you impress them the next time that you meet all 30 you remember the 30 names wow julie remembers all the names well because you found some association here to that person it's not just about intellectually memorizing it because it memory memories doesn't matter yeah. You you never forget a face and a name because you've figured out a way that you can associate with that person beyond your mind, behind your brain. And that's the only way I can think of, it. or there, as you said, there's an external catalyst, but you're gonna wait for a catalyst or you're gonna start becoming more awake and therefore be more bold to do what you wanna do. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. Well, I'm living it. And it's not easy at times, but it just gets, if you form the habit, it does become easy.
0: And so what what exactly is the habit of listening to your heart and your intuition? Is that the habit?
1: Well, it's it's a lesson is what I'm thinking. So the first lesson to me was about, you know, giving... Giving meaning to whatever experience or event you've had in life. And day to day we do. It's just that you want to give it a meaning that's for a higher purpose. And the second is connecting your heart to it rather than using just this guy, your head. Mm-hmm. Uh you want, you want to to find that emotion that will move you in one direction or the other.
0: Mm-hmm
1: because that's your gps your emotion is your gps for your, for your, for your for your spirit
0: yeah so you're bringing up what um brendan Burchard uh teaches six habits of high performance and one of them is necessity mm-hmm. and and it's a it's way more than an intellectual decision to do whatever your mission is in life it needs to be connected to your heart where where you actually feel it instead of like intellectually like i'm going to do this work because i'm going to i'm going to like help x number of people have this this and this change in their lives but really and so that's part of it but then really there has to be like more deep personal connection like I need to do this because I need to be this role model to this to my son or something where you actually have are able to have a deeper emotional connection than just being a um you know good person in the world
1: I love Brendan I'm part of his mastermind but I'll tell you It is similar to Simon Sinek's why, tapping into your why. But another mentor is Dean Graziosi, seven levels deep. Unless you go seven levels deep into what you're talking about, Julie, that connect, I mean, it can happen in five. But the thing is, everything I do and live for today is completely tied to my why. And so I've had to do work over and over and over again. And that why can change a little bit, but but over time, it's so clear why you do what you do. That's what gets you up. So whether it's if mortality demotivates me, oh, well, don't feel good about it today. Well, good, but then it's, it, this is it. That's all you got right now. This is the moment. Yes, okay, so I I, I, I talked to the the why that I'm so powerfully connected to, and it gets me going. And it happens, it never fails because then you're, you're fully alive in the moment that you're alive. So I think for sure, necessity, he calls it necessity, people call it why. And the seven levels of depth of why, it's actually, uh, there's another coach, his name is Dan Sullivan, I believe. He's the one that came up with the seven levels of, deep, uh, of why. You need to do that work because only you know that. Nobody else does. So it's good to work with somebody to, to get you to that connection as to why you want to live at all. Uh, Because otherwise, it's all externally driven, right? Mm
0: -hmm. If I do
1: this, as you said, if you help so many people, I'm going to get the satisfaction. I make so many millions of dollars. Well, why do we want to make the millions of dollars? Because it makes us feel a certain way. So until you find that connection to why you want to make the million bucks or the 10 million bucks, it has a purpose. It makes you feel a certain way. I want to go buy a house in Hawaii because it makes me feel powerful. Well, that's not good enough. It's not about power or money. It's, it's always something deeper. Um, it's, it, it's usually comes down to some kind of freedom, some kind of a, a, a trauma you had as a child or something that is so deeply driven, embedded in you that you want to overcome that or don't want to have anybody in your family or your children have that feeling. Uh, some people talk about control over life. Oh, good. I don't know what control you really have over your life, but that's another discussion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You do have control over your thought and your emotion.
0: Yes, and what and what we might not have control over the thoughts that come in. We have control over what we do with the thoughts that are there.
1: Possibly. We do have control over, as, as you start to practice some of these things. Right. Uh,
0: yeah. You can train your neurons to not go down those same pathways and to right. arrive at different thoughts. Yes. And you
1: want, you know, thoughts will come. But the thing is, you also have the influx of thoughts reduce because your intuition is, your silence is so strong. It doesn't need to hit anything. It's been seven years as an example that since I turned on the news. I actually do not know what's going on in the world. And I'm okay with it. Because whatever I need to know in the world in the world we live in, I will find out anyway. Someone's Mm -hmm. going to tell me, I mean, I can't unhear or unsee what I see or hear, hear, but I don't need to have the news on 12 hours a day. I don't even have the news on ever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it makes me look stupid to people, and I'm okay with that. You mean you never heard of COVID, Raju? I'm getting on a plane to go overseas from New York. And my friend calls me, are you nuts? I go, no, why, what's what's wrong? He goes, have you not heard of COVID? I said, no, it was March of 2020, and I didn't know about COVID. And I wasn't joking, I truly didn't know. But I got on the plane and I lived to tell a story about my amazing experiences of being on a plane during COVID. I was locked down for 28 days overseas, but it's all good. I got evacuated. That's not my survival story, but it's just like, I've had some amazing adventures because if I wasn't embracing the unknown, I will not have the experience I've had.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that for me personally, I, I titrate the news a lot. Because, mm. because it's sort of like an inverse uh, relationship. The more news I I hear, the more depressed and hopeless I feel, and then the less I can get done of my personal work to help those few people on this planet that I can actually impact. And so then the less news I listen to, the more focused I can be on impacting the world in the little way that I can, it's like I'm not going to become a president or any like big, any whatever, but I, I am going to continue to do the work that I can. Mm-hmm. And literally the less news I consume, the more each day I can get done. Absolutely, love it. I learned that a a, um many years ago when there was a I had I was in this big crisis, and I realized that you know I had to not let myself be consumed in a clinical depression Mm -hmm. because of the events in my life, and that you know you want to feel like you're a part of society and knowledgeable and but then especially the news station i listened to it went into deep detail about really terrible thing i know that it was a radio station i haven't watched the news cuz i don't need to see the images at all um But I just, I just realized, so I stopped listening to the news because I was like, this is not helping me and it's damaging me right now in this period of crisis in my life. I need to not have outside unnecessary information coming into my brain that I can't do anything about, you know, stuff on the other side of the world. I can go and vote and maybe that'll make a difference. But, um. Anyway, it's it's very interesting how how much we how much we think we need things in our life that are sort of actually damaging us. Sort of like how we started off this conversation with these these six attributes that, in general, we think like like the, well, that's the best part of being human. And then at the same time, there's a flip side. You know, there's this saying in in um, in old Chinese um, knowledge wisdom: the bigger the front, the bigger the back. Yes. That everything has a front and a back. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm now now I'm rambling. Bible says it
1: <laughs> as above, so below, right? So there's all these principles that are all very yeah. similar. So those are the two. The third lesson, as I was just talking about, was the fact that it's about what you feed your mind so I don't feed my mind anything from the news so so those three lessons are very important to me the first one I think I told you about was the, the uh, remember the first one I told you about
0: oh don't put me on the spot <laughs> no so so the, the
1: you know it's an external versus internal Catalyst but it's about okay. the fact that life is fickle right so really knowing that what meaning you give to whatever situation in your life number two my lesson was about connecting the heart to things so you can move things with much more awareness intention etc third was the fact you want to feed your mind keep away from negativity and and because absorbing negativity is so easy uh, and then my last thing would only be to say you 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 have to be participating in life uh, instead of being silent observers, sufferers, sit by the sidelines, believing that we're in control. You're not in control. Oh, wait
0: for your turn. Nobody's going to give you your turn. That's that's classroom stuff, and even there, it doesn't work.
1: Right. So you're not in control of any in anything anyway. Right. You can't make your pet do anything, let alone doing making your child do something or friends do something. It doesn't work. You're here to live and experience your life not make stuff happen. We have this notion that we can make stuff. I don't think we can. We can imagine stuff and move forward in that direction. But to say I did this, and I did that is just it's not. So, so it's about participating in life. So participate fully with your with what comes whether it's as I said, all the negative emotion that that you're because that's part of your experience, right to feel all that. It's not about the good, bad. It's not about the love, joy, and, and peace. And th- these are opposites of the other things. They're all happening at the same time to us. So moral of that story is you got to take care of you first. Yes. Because that is designed by nature for you to be to take care of you first. That's why people are now talking about self-care and all these things. Because it's, it's you. As I said, I, I survived. So I... And therefore, other people survived. But if you're resisting and holding on to stuff, it's hard because you're trying to control an outcome, and we're not in charge of any outcomes.
0: So, I guess this is sort of the question I had for uh, a Buddhist master once is that we, you know, there's some people believe in destiny and then there's also like doing good things to change your karma to change your destiny (laughs) and um and so i asked him something about planning because i actually have two master's degrees in planning which made sense to me at the time but then over the years i see how planning can actually get in the way it's not that it's not necessary, but it's not the whole picture. Yes, and and basically he said plan less. And so it is life is so messy. Well, it's like well, wait a minute. It's like well, well if I want to like make my life meaningful, and for me to have a meaningful life, I want to make an impact somehow not just like live because I can like go swimming in the tropics every day. That, that, that is not a meaningful life for me. Mm-hmm. So then at the same time, I am trying to make change happen. But what I guess he was saying and you're saying is like, show up, listen to what your inner self is willing you to do or asking you to do with your life you know, follow through on those things, and at the same time, resist the urge to think that you're actually in control, because actually we aren't. Um, so it's just, it's so messy. Don't you like It's is messy. Kind of, huh?
1: And, and the fun is in the mess. The I
0: mean, fun what is fun in would the it mess.
1: be if the, the puzzle was put together for you? Eh, but you got 500 pieces you got to put together. The, the the mess is the fun, right? You can plan, you have a plan. It says you're gonna get this 500 puzzle picture done. It's like an Atlas or whatever it is. Good, that's just the vision. But your your journey is your mess and that's the path. That's just how it is. Everybody's path is different, but it's okay. I mean- To
0: have, to have the path and to allow the journey to unfold Yes, as it, as it unfolds, not don't resist. Yes, the, I mean, the, the master
1: is saying all the possibilities lie in the unknown anyway. What do you think is if it's known, it's no fun. It's already known. Yeah. Yes, you can have a map. I mean, I mean, how has Google destroyed our anticipation for going to take a vacation to, in, a, in a far off place somewhere? Because now it's, I can see actual videos and pictures of where I'm going. And it takes it zaps it out, right? Because it's like it's less to look forward to which was unfolding in the moment. you know, running, you lose your way or you 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 talk to the wrong people, you have the wrong guide. all these things are part of the experience where you are. And it's just to me, that is life. so it, it, again, in this little book I hold on hold on to here, we I say that life is not happening to you. that's the victim. Life is not happening by you. You're not all the type A personalities that, yeah, life is I'm in charge of life and I mix I make things. That's fine. Temporarily you can probably think you'd do that. But his life is always happening through you or for you. Life is not outside of you. Like you're you're part of life. Right? You are life and life is part of you, and like you're just you're one. If you pay attention, you're not your body or your mind. But you are in this body and and the mind. So the body is a way for you to be the custodian of your body. But but who are you? For well, you are that you. That bigger you is the spirit. So you're in this in this body, but don't make the body be everything. That's not your life. You're just living life through this body. Sorry if it's too much no but, but I, and I, mean, I love that, that is...
0: because, because i've been hearing i hear it a lot now um life's not happening to you it's happening for you and when i put and and so that in a you know it moves you from victim to something else not victim but i love this what you say is happening through you
1: I think is we use the word through in our book because for is like what Tony Robbins says is happening for you. Yeah, it's not happening by you. It's not happening to you. Yes, yeah, so it's all happening for you. Meaning, you know, he says it in a, in, a, in a layman's language of for you, meaning it's all for your benefit. We're just saying it's happening through you. So the go back. I always go back to the tree example. Life is happening. Th- the it's not happening to the tree. The tree is living through its through nature, right? So I I'd say replace the word life with nature. You are part of nature, and nature is part of you too. So the seed is inside of you to 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 grow, but in the way the humans grow, it's only in this part of the brain that they grow, rather than growing here, because we're all the seed of the belonging is here. In the heart. In the heart, yeah. because if, in the heart a gateway to everything. That's why yeah. people talk about gratitude. Gratitude is, you know, it, you know, being receptive because it allows you, what are you grateful for? Well, I did this and grateful for my family, grateful for friends. All great. But it's a way of tapping into your heart. Otherwise, what are you grateful for? You can't, you're not mentally grateful for anything. You're simply, or you're just checking off a box. Okay, I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for all the good things I have in life and blah, blah, blah. No, you're the idea is to connect here and say, in the heart, what is what are you really grateful for? Forgiveness, compassion. These are all heart-related things. They're not mental things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, they're mental when it's just nice to say those things. But do you mean them?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: We can't get around taking care of our bodies because that's how, how our existence is manifested here in these bodies so you're responsible for your body too but you're not your body you are not your body you're not your mind
0: well let's let people know how they can find your book and what else you do and where they can find you online this has been absolutely fascinating and we could go on and on
1: well first of all i don't want to leave here by before I say thank you, Julie. I know it's been a long time um, coming together on this platform for you. Really appreciate the work you're doing, making people more aware of what identity loss really is uh, because we, it's an ocean, but we give it so much power that it overtakes us. And if we can just slightly reverse that a little bit to say, we're not losing identity. we're We're always discovering new things about ourselves. Um, So I really appreciate you having me here, I really do. Uh, My book is called Bold, Conscious Leadership, How to Feel Free in a Restricted World. And this was not some catchy title for the pandemic or whatever. It's just what we're saying, saying that the the freedom, how to feel free in a restricted world, we're always feeling restricted in the world, whether it's the pandemic or otherwise. So it was meant to be personal leadership. Uh, You can find it on Amazon. it's got five-star reviews. I really appreciate whoever read the book and gave me those reviews. Uh, yeah, hey,
0: hey, everybody. Authors need reviews. I know it takes a minute out of your life, but it's actually really hard to get them. And so when you read somebody's book, just go in there and write something up because it's it, it's sort of the life, this is the currency that makes the book be found by other people.
1: Yes, so we really appreciate that. And then you can find me at Rajupanjmani.com. I'm all over social media, LinkedIn, R-A-J-U, last name P-A-N-J-W-A-N-I. So the website that carries my name as well, or you can be found on LinkedIn under, under my name as well. So, and you can do boldconsciousleadership.com too, and it'll take you to my website. So you can find me anywhere. Yes, my name is hard to to, to to pronounce, but he also is, it's hard to miss it because I show up pretty quickly. R-A-J-U-P-A-N-J-W-A-N-I.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Raju. This has been absolutely wonderful.
1: Well, I look forward to keeping in touch.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for
1: having me. Appreciate it.
0: And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Okay. Hey there, the value that you got from this today, take it into your heart, add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens, and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The links in the show notes.